On this episode of Comedy Rewind, is Rush Hour the best pick of the bunch amongst the 90s buddy cop movies? Is there a successor for Jackie Chan to take over the martial arts comedy? Is it ever okay to touch a black man's radio? All of this and more in Comedy Rewind. 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 Push Rewind. I thought this was a comedy show. What's going on guys? Welcome to Comedy Rewind on the 8-Bit Collective. We are powered by Audio Technica as we rewatch the great comedies of the 1990s. I'm your host, John O'Peck, joined today by the Chris Tucker to my Jackie Chan. I don't know, but it's my brother, Dan Peck. How you going? Brother Dan is good. Brother Dan is here. It's your very first podcast, I believe. Yes, you're popping my cherry. Woof, woof. Getting a bit flustered. All kinds of incestuous already. (laughs) But uh, I guess the context for this, aside from you being my brother and just us being able to get nostalgic together, is that you were a patron of 8-Bit. And I tweeted out that whoever got us over the line with the stretch goal would get to be a guest. I did not know it would be you, but that worked out pretty well. So mm, I've bought my way in here yeah. and I intend to stay. So <laughs> Rush Hour. Rush Hour. We're talking 1998 American action comedy directed by Brett Ratner, who's fallen out of grace in Hollywood now. But for the most part, this whole thing revolves around the partnership between Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker and essentially a buddy cop movie so i think it holds up pretty well generally it's still Hmm. it's a good blend of comedy and and action that we don't get these days with what jackie chan's able to do i think he's such a once in a lifetime type of performer that even though he's still making movies which we'll get to there's not really a replacement like a modern Hmm. new younger version of him so i think that gives it a pretty unique flair how do you how did the rewatch go for you yeah, I had uh, similar sensibilities, I guess. It's my first foray into, or was my first foray into any kind of kung fu mm. genre, um, and it's not a specialty at all. But <laughs> all all these opinions will be very uninformed and unresearched. Yeah, that's all right. It's layman. <laughs> we're we're layman here talking yeah. about uh, everything pretty much. But do you remember watching this when we were younger? Because I'm I don't have a specific memory of this movie. I, I do remember going to the sequel at the cinema which was probably 2002 or three but must have seen it by then at some point Mm. either probably on vhs Mm. or on like saturday night on telly whether it was with you or smallsy friend of the show and chris or or whoever i used to hang out with it's like the kind of thing that i could see much like with american pie and other movies that came out in the 90s and had sequels in the 2000s. You, you see the, the trailer for the new mm. movie, you go out and watch the, the first one, but probably too young to head off to the mm. cinema to watch it in 1998. So do you have any recollection? This is one of those kind of classic sleepover movies, if yeah. I can recall. It's a movie that was just quotable and you could kind of put it on as background noise almost because um, it was on telly quite a bit, I reckon, as well, just on normal te- television. Um, my, my first memory of it, was probably at a, a friend's party and he was mm. obsessed with it. Oh, really? Josh Vine. <laughs> that was my first memory. Okay, so was there a discernible difference between your memories of it and watching it again today? There is. And surprisingly, a lot of the differences in probably how I would have interpreted it today versus back then are more to do with the cultural context of the movie. Yeah. It's okay. very much focused on race in, a, in, in some way in terms of the way it's chosen its narrative structure its characters and that's nothing i would have ever picked up on 
in my teenage days at all. Yeah, that's really something that you can't appreciate as a mm. kid, I guess, because we would have both been around 12 or 13 when we yeah. it got around to watching it. And like the stereotypes that are on display in the movie are just the way that you see the world. It might, it might have been our first, like, as you said, like exposure to Asian American culture or Kung Fu cinema or whatever it is. And yeah, th- there are a lot of kind of, uh, I-, I guess it's jokes at the expense of those stereotypes that we'll get to a bit later. I think that I don't, I didn't find any of them particularly offensive with, with hindsight, but we'll, we'll get to that. So a bit more about the movie. It made $244 million on a budget of only 35 and it was Jackie Chan's first blockbuster hit in the US at the age of 44. He'd been mm. making movies since he was a kid, since he was a fetus, essentially, punching his way out of the womb. But I think that before, I guess he, unless you were a movie buff and had seen some of those, uh, what did he do before this? Rumble in the Bronx mm. and uh, Who Am I might have come out before this, I don't, I don't know, but... This was kind of his splash into Hollywood as, as a big star and really set him up for all the movies that came after it, whether they were Shanghai Noon, the Rush Hour sequels, uh, the Tuxedo with <laughs> Jennifer Love Hewitt and the, the many, many voice roles that he's gone on to do recently. But I think that that kind of blend of like stunts within the comedy works so well because the action is part of the comedy. It's very physical. Mm, mm. And he really is the master of that kind of thing. Yeah, and his style is so much different to probably the uh, Kung Fu predecessors before him. And I, I heard in some uh, research that he formed that style out of a um, almost a, a failing to be able to match the Bruce Lee athleticism. Although he's still athletic in his yeah. own right, but he has a very much a clumsy style to his um to his martial arts um stick and he uses you know the world around him to kind of make up for that so he's falling into something or he's using his environment almost fighting his environment as well yeah he's almost like the like the mick foley of of Mm. of kung fu cinema where Mm. it's like yeah he's in this movie we see him uh handcuffed to a steering wheel falling over like a a lounge chair and maneuvering around with a with c4 vest all all these kinds of things that he's not like the classic leading man Mm. action hero he's kind of yeah like you said following his way into Mm. into it and just like kind of like he's not an accidental hero but he's He's like a he's a hard worker. He's a, he's a pacifist. He's like a reluctant a reluctant fighter to some degree. Yeah, in this movie especially, like he's mm. he's like disarming all the guns as he mm. fights people, and he's like trying to stop the classic Asian like Chinese artifacts from breaking. Mm. It's great for, for the comedy <laughs> factor as well. So, a little bit about this before we get into the Rotten Tomatoes score. This movie was actually the catalyst for the creation of Rotten Tomatoes. I read. So the website's founder was a big Jackie Chan fan and was inspired to make the website after collecting reviews of all of his uh, action films as they were being released in the US. So just before rush hour, he coded this website in two weeks and it went live just before rush hour came out. And now Rotten Tomatoes is a huge, massive company that does way more than just aggregate movie reviews, which I found kind of interesting. So... Do you have any guess as to what the reception was Ooh. as far as Rotten and Fresh? 
percent. I would say it's fresh. Uh, without ha- any kind of awareness or <laughs> observation of what was happening in the late nineties in the in the film uh, critique world, my guess would be it'd be fresh somewhere around seventy percent mark. Sixty one. There you go. So it was just fresh, just which I'm kind of surprised by because there's like not much like from my perspective to hate on this movie like maybe it's not the most original story uh it's you know the typical kind of ransom movie but i think the whole east meets west very very west with the way chris tucker is basically like you know a a very streetwise african-american lapd cop who like in himself he's all he's already a fish out of water because he's joining the fbi in this movie and he's that he doesn't belong there mm. he's kind of the laughing stock to them and so you've got both of them kind of in a, a new element which i think is a, a pretty cool like little dynamic mm. where they're both trying to find their way around this different world both of them are seen as the outsiders yeah you're right in saying that and it works to and that is an original almost narrative device i think for this age of cinema not that yeah. i'm across all of it <laughs> Um, or even this genre, even in this part of the 90s. But you have, as you said, a unoriginal, perhaps, premise, but you have original elements being put together. We've got kind of the archetype for buddy cop movies before this stage with um, Lethal Weapon. Yeah. You've got uh, Beverly Hills Cop providing an archetype for um, you know the hero African-American cop. Uh, but putting those things together mm. with a, a new fresh element of kung fu, or martial arts oriented yeah. policeman uh, detective, that that brings a new element. And Jackie Chan obviously has an original flavour to what yeah, he does. Definitely, I, I think like for a lot of people that weren't like as I said before, huge movie buffs, mm. it would have definitely been something that they'd never seen before. It certainly was for us, and probably most people who are listening to this. So, do you have any guesses as to what the number one song on the Billboard charts was in oh. September September of nineteen ninety eight? It's a great one. Is that Britney Spears era? It's a year before her. Is it Mariah Carey? No, she did feature in the film though. It was Aerosmith. Aerosmith. Don't want to miss a thing. Oh, classic. So it must have, I guess, been just a few months after Armageddon Mm. released, Mm. which, yeah, what an an era for for action movies. It is kind of that Michael Bay era, like the prime Mm. time for, for those kind of Michael Bay movies. Moving on, what have you done for me lately? Jackie Chan has kind of turned to voice acting, I guess, as his body's breaking down. It uh, goes without saying that he did all of his stunts in this movie, which was one of the more impressive parts of it for me, rewatching it now. But at the age of 44, in rush hour, that puts him somewhere around like 65 now. So mm-hmm. it's no wonder. That... And probably making two or three movies a year for the past 20 years. Well, it's funny you should say that because I did a little bit of calculating. And since 2010, he's done 33 movies. Wow. That's up there with Nicolas Cage <laughs> yeah. in terms of prolificness. Yeah, It's like more movies than a lot of people have done in their yeah. whole life. Like, like Chris Tucker's probably done 10 movies. <laughs> he's kind of the opposite where... Uh, he turned to stand up. I think if you look at his filmography, it goes like Rush Hour, Rush Hour 2, Rush Hour 3 over the course <laughs> of nine years. Which is odd considering this is probably, or maybe it's not as odd, but this is probably almost his peak in the 90s because yeah. he had 
the fifth element i think before yeah this. he was in he was in that just around the same time yeah, yeah. and money talks as well which was um a lead a couple of years yeah. before yeah and he was in the the movies with ice cube friday true and yeah. turned down sequels to a, a few of those movies i find this kind of interesting he became a born again christian and that was one of the reasons that mm. he stopped doing some of those kinds of of more raunchy movies and probably realized that he didn't want to be part of i guess what he didn't appreciate in the hollywood scene he was in silver lining playbook in 2012 and was that was a really great return for him but yeah like i said mostly doing stand-up and I, i pulled a quote from an article i read i thought it was interesting him saying um being a christian helps me in my comedy I have to talk about other stuff. Normally, most mm. comics talk about stuff that's easy, maybe cussing or saying something raunchy. I have to dig deeper to find something that's still funny and not raunchy, which is harder, and I like the challenge. So that's, I guess, what he's been up to lately. He did have a, a bit of a run-in with the IRS, owing like $14 million in taxes, but uh, he's settled that he didn't have to go to prison like Wesley Snipes, who he said, he quipped, that's the last time I let Wesley Snipes help me out with my taxes. so yeah he hasn't been super busy as far as movies tv that kind of thing but uh, jackie chan super busy kung fu panda lego ninjago movie have you seen that one i have as a father of (laughs) two young children how'd that one go levi my uh youngest uh, he loved it yeah 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 and i guess the rest of his live action movies are kind of split between Chinese audience, mm. Western audience. There's a lot of like co-funded films where it's like Australia and China or Russia and China. Mm. So he hasn't really done any Western blockbusters, at least that have made money for a while. But this was his time. This was his, I guess, Hollywood breakout. And it's it's interesting that he didn't actually, he doesn't actually like Rush Hour that much. He doesn't look back that fondly because it's so different to what he'd done previously coming from that Hong Kong cinema background and where it's far more action Mm. and longer fights. He doesn't, as great as this movie is, he doesn't really get any scenes to just go to town and like drawn out one-on-one fights. There's a lot of, it's, it's all in the comedy, Mm. I guess. And that's the nature of the film, but, and there's a lot more talking and he also in that aspect, he doesn't even really get to do as much as we know he's capable of Mm. as far as, being the funny man he's often the straight man to chris tucker which i think they played a bit more with that in rush hour two and three which i think made them probably as much as they weren't as original as this one they they might have had a few more laughs well rush hour two i think was more highly rated as well uh in terms of its box office Mm. and uh its its criticism as well and it's probably worth putting into perspective Jackie Chan came from a pretty illustrious acting career in Hong Kong where he was an award winning actor for um, similar genres of film in terms of action films even playing the role of detectives in in those films too but not a comedy um, Mm. necessarily until he got into um, uh, films later that kind of crossed over to the west yeah I think one of the only ones I've seen is Drunken Master which I feel like there's a bit of physical comedy happening in that one but not probably what he was most known for. 
and yeah, you're right. Like Chris with Chris Tucker and those movies doing well, you could see that because he was offered, I think, twenty five million for the third one, which right. made him like the highest paid actor in Hollywood, which is crazy for a guy that wasn't doing a mm. whole lot else. Just mm. shows like how essential he is to these movies. But uh, getting to the questions now, what was the most nineties moment for you? There's a few moments in this film which kind of hark back to the 90s shtick that you saw probably in a lot of action films. You know, the C4 blowing up in the trunk of a car <laughs> off yeah. a flying bullet, which yeah. is, you know, we're not really. Wouldn't hold up in Mythbusters. No. <laughs> um, or, you know, the cosmetics of the uh, film, you know, the button down suit. This film seemed to be entirely shot in suits for the most part, mm, at least in yeah. terms of the male roles. And you had, you know, three, four button-down suits. Apart from Chris Tucker's yeah. uh, black duster or whatever it was, <laughs> maybe just the black leather jacket, that looks, still looked pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty um, pretty, pretty straight and narrow in terms of the, the um, fashion department. Mm. I think the references, like the pop culture references mm. in this movie are probably the most 90s things. Like, there was several Michael Jackson references. Yeah. Like from that opening scene with the C4, he's doing like a bit of a Michael mm. Jackson dance and I don't know if there's some music playing that there matches is it. in the background. And that is probably a Chris Tucker influence because yeah, he was quite close, I understand, with Michael yeah, Jackson. Huge and, fan and yeah, friend of, yeah. of uh, MJ. And then there's the reference to like Tito. Yeah. Calling, calling Jackie Chan's character Tito. And yeah, what else? I had the... Chelsea Clinton reference, $50 million. <laughs> Who do you think you kidnapped Chelsea Clinton? <laughs> That's such a, that, that dates it instantly. Cause like mm. when the Clintons aren't the president, suddenly who would pay $50 million ransom for Chelsea Clinton? Yeah. No offense to Chelsea Clinton. Lovely lady, I'm sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. There's the, also the pres- that, uh, also that reference to don't touch, you don't touch a black man's radio. Yeah. I, yeah that is pulled straight from Chris Rock's stand up yeah. in the nineties. I don't know if that's, is it a Chris Rock bit, or did, did Steve was Steve Carell doing a Chris Tucker bit on The Office? I think he was doing a Chris Tucker bit. Uh, I, yeah. I thought that it was a Chris Rock bit. Maybe that's just me getting my Chris's confused. Mm, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but it's it's interesting though too. I'm not. It may have been from his stand up. I don't know. But they also drew a lot from Jackie Chan's previous movies in this film in, in terms of the gags that they used throughout because mm. they were f- kind of fresh to the Western audience. They they rehashed a lot of yeah. what he'd done in previous <laughs> films. So I wouldn't be surprised if um, there was a lot of a lot of influences coming from both characters. Yeah, I wondered if the whole concept of a $50 million cash ransom in itself was kind of dated. <laughs> I, I don't, can't say for a fact. I haven't been involved in any ransom uh, drop-offs or anything like that but i wonder if these days it wouldn't be uh, a briefcase full of a uh, hundred dollar bills <laughs> i feel like yeah I, we were talking about it before and you mentioned maybe bitcoin probably a possibility or some kind of bank transfer mm. send you my details you transfer the cash maybe paypal i don't know paypal yeah. venmo <laughs> yeah there are also like a lot of explosions in the movie uh, or at least like the tension of whether there's going to be an explosion and mm. like that's not a 90s thing but it, it did remind me of the michael bay like very trigger happy with the explosions yeah. that kind of era. and almost 
kind of very simplistic narrative devices to draw suspense and yeah. to just put in some kind of wow factor. Things that probably wouldn't hold up today in the, the Bourne universe or the John Wick universe. Yeah, that's a good point. Like the the whole like countdown to an explosion, yeah. cutting having to cut the right wire. It's very much like a, a massive action movie trope that... Mm you couldn't really do as simplistically these days without just kind of having people's eyes roll. But I think that was it for as far as things that dated it to the nineties, the style and the pacing, I think held up really well. What what did you have as holding up the best in this movie? What held up the best, I think was in terms of trying to place in a, in a contemporary context or whether it could kind of conceive whether you can conceive of that movie today mm. is the, the narrative you've got two minorities yeah who are the main lead characters and you've got uh, both as uh, set as outsiders coming into unfamiliar environments and they're they're the good guys mm. and they're showing for the most part good characters uh, good characteristics good attributes and that probably wasn't a common theme for action movies of the 90s where you had often foreigners playing villains and they were kind of cut. The outsiders were always cast as, you know, the bad guys. So the, in this yeah. instance, the outsiders are the good guys to the point where you've got, you know, FBI agents who, you know, are white males. You've got the villain who's a gray-haired, white, old white male. British, they're they're yeah. the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. So I think that holds up very well today in our current environment, especially with the focus on trying to diversify mm. um, characters and who we see on the big screen. Yeah, that's a good point, and should be worth noting that Ken Leung as the main bad guy. I can't remember his name now, but he was great. He does his role mm. pretty well. Like, I think he's an American Asian. Like, he I've seen him in a lot of other stuff where he's playing a straight American. Like, he hasn't got an accent or anything like that. Like he does in this movie. Yeah, uh, Sang was his character, but uh, as far as holding up the worst i think he's blonde he's blonde <laughs> the chinese blonde shaved head look not the best look for starters but also not very subtle for someone that's often in plain sight undercover he's you know there's a scene where he's a cop and then there's a scene where he's a bartender and as soon as you see him on screen you're like oh there's the bad guy mm. who jackie chan recognizes instantly every time he <laughs> sees him uh, maybe you should try and blend in a bit more with the other Chinese people. But it's that it's that classic signal that like he's different, isn't yeah, it? Like he's the bad guy. <laughs> even today, you've got you know, there's just some classic um, blonde fail moments, whether it be you know Justin Bieber and his blonde element, <laughs> or um, other actors who uh, change the color of their hair out of women. Some kind of sign that some deeper trouble in their life. Mm, yeah, and I'm thinking through like. Uh, other examples and you've got like Tom Cruise in Collateral mm -hmm. with the grey hair yeah. it's like oh it's bad Tom Cruise we don't get that yeah. too often and then there's obviously like, like the albino trope which is like if you see an albino in a movie they're almost 99% of the time the, the bad guy and mm. that's something that's probably way too overdone by this point I have skipped over something else that I thought held up really well so while we're just talking about things that aged well and poorly the the bonding scene between Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker as uh, they're singing "War, what is it good for?" That was just a great mm. piece of physical 
storytelling and comedy and some of the time like most of that scene you can't hear what they're saying to each other they're not even talking it's just like he's showing him how to like disarm the gun they're showing each other dance moves kung fu moves and it's just a really great scene Mm. and i want to say it might be the most iconic scene did you have anything else for that question i had that as my most iconic scene there are some iconic certainly iconic moments like um that uh, hero moment, if you like, when Chris Tucker uh, has a one-on-one with uh, Leung's uh, character mm. and, you know, has that finishing line, yeah, wipe yourself line. off, you dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, those are classics. There's a few of those in the film, but uh, the war, what is it good for uh, scene is, I think, the most iconic. Yeah. And almost, it almost seems organic, like it could have happened off script. Yeah, yeah. It, it didn't feel forced. It didn't mm. feel like they were, like, deliberately saying like here's some here's a montage of these guys Mm. getting to like bond with each other it just kind of felt like yeah like you said natural and organic and jackie chan like (laughs) the way he sings war what is it good for holds up really well that's still so funny yeah and that's a it's kind of almost a comedy trope now where you've got a a song that binds people together anchorman's a great example where you've got uh, those guys doing a barbershop quartet Mm. Uh, of uh, afternoon delight yeah. <laughs> there's another there's other examples i could quote too yeah but even like the, the way that he like elongates the nothing <laughs> instead of just like the nothing which is like really the way that it's clearly sounding and the way that chris tucker does it, i just love mm. that um th- as far as iconic moments the stunts that stick out to me the most would probably be i guess him holding on to the hollywood sign like that's one that it's a the first one yeah it's mm. like the almost the apart from the opening chase scene that he has in china or hong kong wherever it is at that time it's the first time you see him do something in the movie that you're like oh wow it's it's not only an iconic uh setting with that sign is it hollywood boulevard i think yeah because yeah, yeah. they're outside the chinese Grumman's yeah. theater uh but he's really dangling there <laughs> And that's when you go, oh, it's it's a movie. It's this kind of movie. Mm. It's a Jackie Chan movie. So moving on from what's held up good and bad, who do you think would be the most offended if this came out mm. now? Or would anyone have any issue with this? Yeah, we talked or touched um, a little earlier uh, the kind of... Uh, the, the racial undertones to the parts of this movie where you've got... Um, there, there's a few little slights, if you like, at... Um, the Asian minorities and mm. things like um, when they approach the China when they approach Chinatown and, and Chris Tucker's character says uh, you might see your cousins here, yeah. but even those instances that the film uses that as a device to show almost the ignorance of not to say it's American ignorance, yeah. but in this case it was an American being ignorant. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then the uh, the subject of that kind of demeaning comment getting the better of them. So it's almost mm. kind of a it's it, it serves two purposes. It shows the kind of failing of one character, but also the strength of the other. Even though it might be seen as racist today, so that's an interesting way to kind of um, redirect some of those uh, racial yeah. comments, if you like. And that happens a few times through the movie, where Chris Tucker, another good example, is when in that car scene, and uh, he locks him up with the handcuffs and makes a quip about fast hands, referring to his kung fu movements. Yeah, I got, yeah. But then Jackie Chan gets the better of him. So it's kind of like a... Te- there's lots of these teaching moments, which are obviously intentional through the film, Yeah. Um, where Jackie Chan's ch- character 
is being portrayed in this positive light and is the intelligent mm. um, kind of not controlling but certainly the competent detective yeah. in this scenario <laughs> and um, gives Chris Tucker's character a, a chance to kind of better better or improve himself through the film and to the point where they get to that scene with um, just before the interrogation uh, Chris Tucker is in trouble because they've just kind of mucked up the investigation but Jackie Chan's character gives him a way out yeah. um, and kind of lets him save face even though it's to his advantage to keep him on side and keep mm. their partnership going because that's the way he's getting information and involvement and then at the end of the film you've got this kind of cathartic moment where it all, all wraps up and and Chris Tucker's character is trying, you know, to, trying to speak Chinese yeah. <laughs> to, the, to the air hostess um, and kind of turns that not not uh, yeah that ignorance around if you like to say well you didn't ask me if I spoke Chinese yeah so. and it all kind of comes yeah comes from that's a really good point and then mm. there's the whole kind of part of the movie where he doesn't know that Jackie Chan's character can speak English and mm. it's like kind of speaking to him speaking down to him yeah. and kind of being a bit cheeky but you're right like there are there are some moments that you could think like oh is that offensive but I think if you if those moments existed in a vacuum like yeah that they could be offensive but i think when you look at the movie as a whole and what you mentioned before about the good that it does portraying these two different minorities i think in the context they both get their turn mm. so like as, yeah. as much as there might be a couple little like jabs at asian stereotypes or whatever you then have Jackie Chan dropping the n word <laughs> in a bar like yeah. two or three times yeah. So I feel like it would be hard to walk out there feeling like uh, not we're two white mm. guys here, but I feel like if, if you're a Chinese man yeah. watching this movie, it'd be hard to feel like hard yeah. done by. I think so, they did a good job balancing that in a time yeah. where things weren't quite as cut and dry. Yeah, or, or as balanced. And a lot of that um, comes from who's who's in the power seat, because that's where a lot of that kind of ra- racial tones can be mm. offensive. Is when someone in a position of power is then demeaning you. They're on the kind of in this on the same side throughout the film. They're always the outsider, or they're they're e- on equal standing, if you like. Mm. There's not one person who's controlling or more controlling than the other. Uh, they they're on equal footing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So now that it's been 21 years, do you think this movie passes the internet relevancy test via memes and and gifs, essentially? Ah, I'm. Fairly un- inarticulate when it comes to social media. <laughs> Those who have any connection to my social media accounts know that it's used my- primarily to complain to 2K support yeah. uh, and to post uh, clips of me dunking on um, people in the park in 2K. So <laughs> not not as well-versed to really answer that question. Right. Well, I've done a little bit of research and I think the answer is yes because of one particular quote that, is very useful in uh, in in social media and interactions in general. And it's, do you understand the words that are coming out of my <laughs> mouth? That uh, that little cheer for that little clip or meme as it gets posted is super useful when somebody doesn't seem to understand what you're trying to convey. And I think that that's probably the one that lives on the most. Rush Hour Three, it's probably worth mentioning, has has the scene with the like seven foot uh chinese dude that's that gets bandied around with with some some meme templates so that the franchise as a whole i guess you could say is relevant today but through through those things if not just the 
the way that they they live on as as great comedies. And they also endure through the work that Jackie Chan continues to do and Chris Tucker, even to the point where there's some references in his stand-up to those uh, Rush Hour days. Mm, yeah. But yeah, I, I, it's sad that Chris Tucker isn't as prolific as he was in the 90s because he's a, such a great talent. Like, mm. I can see some people, would, and I've probably heard some people say over the years that he's annoying and just talks fast and whatever, but... He's funny. Like mm. I don't care what you say. Yeah. Oh, in 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 the world we with Chris Tucker's and Dave Chappelle's and Martin Lawrence's and Will Smith's, he has I still think a unique sense of um, prose or rhythm to his speech. Like he almost he almost speaks in falsetto. Yeah. <laughs> this high pitched like scattergun motor mouth um, approach to all his, all of his roles mm. when I think to the point where you could give him any script and it would sound like a Chris Tucker script just because it's coming out of his mouth <laughs> mm, yeah the, there is a cadence there that is mm. unique to him and there were a few moments in the movie where I thought like oh this could very easily be Eddie Murphy mm. lines being delivered and like the younger Eddie and like the more like frantic and yeah. ADHD. Stick it up your ass. Yeah, the, the, hyper, <laughs> the hyperactive Eddie. There's a lot of that coming out. I don't yeah. know if if um, Chris Tucker's young enough to be influenced by Eddie, but it certainly feels that way. Mm. Uh, and it, I think <laughs> it's funny that apart from Rush Hour and maybe I guess Silver Lang's Playbook now that that movie did so well, Chris Tucker's probably best known in the 2000s for his reaction face after they cut to him from Kanye West's George Bush doesn't care about black people <laughs> line in the Hurricane yeah. Katrina fundraiser it's, it's just it's, it's a great YouTube clip to, to look up just cutting from him and Mike Myers over to Chris Tucker like okay <laughs> moving on and it, it's funny you should mention that list of, of uh, black actors many of them comedians because at the time of uh, building up to this movie for several years like it, it takes it quite a while to build a movie with Jackie Chan as a star mm. I guess in Hollywood where he was a little untested in the western market but Martin Lawrence was attached to the project for a while and Eddie Murphy got offered the Carter role Dave Chappelle Will Smith and Tupac were all considered wow. for, for the role so you were pretty on the money with most of the guys you mentioned while we're talking about internet relevancy would social media or smartphones have any impact on this movie there isn't a lot of communication with the outside world in this movie. There's a few instances where they're talking to people over the phone and you're obviously using cord, mm. corded phones. Uh, there were a couple cell phones. Were there? Yeah, so there was a flip kind of mobile phone in the car that Carter was talking on and then later on it was, I think, a cordless phone that another character was using. But yeah, 1998 is definitely late enough for mobile phones to be a bit more common. Mm. I think dad got one in 97. So cops, I think, would definitely mm. have them. But they're not smartphones. They're not capable. They're not, they're not carrying computers around in their pockets. In terms of it ruining any kind of plot points yeah. or um, any of the kind of narrative devices, I wouldn't have thought so. Mm. It doesn't... It's not a... It's almost... No, it's not timeless in the sense. It's certainly dated, but in terms of technology, there isn't a lot that could be yeah. updated unless it was kind of forced, I think, if it was set today. Yeah, there's no reason that this couldn't have been like a 70s, 80s mm. or modern mm. film as far as the plot goes. The ways that it would might maybe be different with current technology, there's probably a bit more like 
maybe a, a subplot or at least a reference to like trying to trace uh, the kid through phone calls and sure. GPS tracking. Like, does she have a phone? Mm. Does she have a tracker on her? That kind of thing. But yeah, for the most part, it doesn't rely on any of that stuff, which I think makes it hold up really well, just generally. Yeah. We haven't talked about the soundtrack. We skipped over that. Uh, and if I can throw that back into kind of what's aged the best or worst, there's a score for most of the movie. And I don't know that that style, I think that style kind of dates it quite a bit uh, for an action comedy. And did it stand out to you when we were li- it, watching it? It wasn't jarring in the sense that there, there was probably four or five songs which were dated prior to the 90s mm. whether it be the Beach Boys references or Michael Jackson yeah. or Mariah Carey is probably the most contemporary one for yeah. that day but the score itself it used you know a lot of uh, it, it shouted out a lot of previous Kung Fu scores I think it was mm. probably the emphasis you know you had gongs and <laughs> yeah, sometimes gong. inter- almost inappropriately like <laughs> what? where did that come from like it was almost like a gong. drum and a hi-hat yeah. <laughs> to point put the exclamation point on a joke but yeah when Jackie Chan <laughs> like when when you discover that he can uh speak English the the punchline was kind yeah. of just the gong <laughs> um, so since we've established that this movie could be set in the 70s 80s or whatever and not really change significantly do you think that this kind of movie could be made today and what would it look like I think it would be received really well today and I think that are they trying to make a rush hour four? Yeah, there is talk of a rush hour four or there has been for many years. Uh and Chris Tucker's mm. oh, like there's articles that have kind of documented the updates over the years and sure. the last thing that I read was that like last year, like Jackie Chan wanted a script a good script. He didn't want to just do it for the money which makes sense, and Chris Tucker would probably be in a similar position. Obviously, doesn't care about money. He's apparently turned down $100 million worth of films over the past 20 years. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of pu- putting this film in, in a vacuum back mm. into today in today's context, I think it would it would work quite well where you have, again, the, the, the racial um, undertones work really well, and I think those would be probably modernized mm. even to be more poignant, and especially... Funnily enough, with what's happening in Hong Kong at the moment, um, yeah. that would add an interesting dynamic. I think this film was set kind of very closely to when um, uh, the British gave over Hong Kong in terms of uh, its dominion mm. back to China. So um, they might be asking for them to take it back. <laughs> if it was set today, uh, and I'm sure there's a better solution than that as well. Yeah. But um, a lot of those, a lot of those elements would have worked quite well today. And, and yeah. the, as you said before, there isn't a lot to date in terms of technology, and uh, there's certainly nothing that would um, wouldn't cross over. I don't think without some little massaging. Yeah, I think the main problem would be just the age of the stars. Yeah. <laughs> like, Chris Tucker being, I don't know, in his 50s and not in the shape he was in these movies. Jackie Chan being that bit older. Could you reimagine who the actors might be today? I don't, like I said before, I can't think of like a younger equivalent Mm. of Jackie Chan. Maybe some movie buffs out there know about like the new hotness as far as (laughs) up and coming kung fu stars go. Uh, But 
Yeah, I don't know. Like uh, every time this question comes up on this podcast, my mind always goes to Kevin Hart because he just seems to be in everything. <laughs> it's like, and like you know, he's a fast-talking black guy, like comedian. He's athletic. You know, he likes to run around and play basketball. I'm sure that he could, uh, he could throw some punches. So you couldn't have Ken Jeong in there playing oh, Jackie Ken- Chan's character. <laughs> Ken Jeong's probably uh, more of a liability physically than Jackie Chan. <laughs> Ali Wong might be better, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's great. But the last thing that I read as far as those constant updates on Rush Hour 4 is that they're looking at a female-led cast. So mm. that could be... That seems to be like the, the modern trend of uh, bringing an old franchise back with, with female leads, which... I'd, I'd be fine with in this context like there's probably more promising young female kung fu stars mm. than, than males as far as like the ones that i'm picturing i can't remember names at the moment but well, i guess we'll find out over the next year or so and just a quick little bit of useless trivia as of 2018 jackie chan's films had grossed more than five billion dollars at the wow. worldwide box office well, it's easy to forget he's got an audience which is much larger than probably even the Western audience yeah. with his background in China and Hong Kong. So, yeah. a huge reach. Yeah, it's easy to think like, oh, he's not doing anything, but no, he's he's done 30 movies in a decade. And... Yeah, there's, there is definitely a world outside of Western yeah. cinema. <laughs> <laughs> the Steve Buscemi Sparkplug Award. Oof. Steve Buscemi. A real spark plug. Who are the nominees? There's few guys that could scrape through i had philip baker hall who's the police chief uh he's a very Mm. recognizable character actor um he's bookman on seinfeld the the library investigator (laughs) and it's good to see him in that similar kind of uh authoritarian role he kind of has his moment to to steal the the scene when he's making fun of chris tucker's character uh, who else was there? Ken Leung is he in it too much? I think Ken Leung's too much a focus as as kind of the main bad mm. guy for most of the movie. Well, that the sidekick henchman. Yeah, it's not really until the third act that that becomes obvious. Chris Penn, maybe he's the C four guy. He's he's the guy that sells C four. Ah, stuck sure. At the start, and then you see him again in the prison. He's kind of un- a more of an understated role. Mm. He's generic, like mobster, I guess. Yeah, and uh, because Fitch- you you know him from Reservoir Dogs and yeah. a couple other things, and he's Sean Penn's brother. Uh, <laughs> that kind of plays into what he brings to the screen. But I think, like, there's not a lot of supporting characters that get a moment to shine. Like, there's the, there's no. a Chinese guy that's that's saying, "I'm not a punk." B- or whatever to Chris Tucker <laughs> as he's complaining about his greasy Chinese food like he probably is the spark plug like he's he's pound for pound yeah, pound second for, for second he's a uh, line yeah. by line delivery it's a it's a good strike rate for him so I don't know I, I'll give the Steve Buscemi spark plug award to Philip Baker Hall just because I'm a big fan of his body of work he's been in like every TV show that's ever been made. <laughs> closing out is Rush Hour still a good movie yeah, I think it's a good movie. Yeah, uh, I think it it it's warrants a better rating than a six on on the um, Rotten Tomatoes. But uh, what's well, the sixty percent, sixty one percent of reviews were favorable? So sure, but yeah, it feels like it doesn't deserve forty percent of unfavorable reviews. Yeah, yeah, I think that it hasn't really lost much at all as far as the twenty years that have passed. Mm. 
I mentioned that they don't really make movies like this anymore, I guess because Jackie Chan is such a unique performer and he's not in the physical shape yeah. to do these these kinds of performances. And I feel like action comedies have become more based around clever camera work like in Kingsman or CGI in something like Ant-Man or, mm. or that kind of thing where the physicality side of it isn't necessarily the humor um like you might get russell crowe or mark Wahlberg, like in in the in a goofy comedy with an actual comedian mm. but as much as it's like a cop comedy it's not the full-on like meshing of this yeah. like action world of kung fu with the comedy world of uh someone like what chris tucker can bring yeah. to the table and we have probably as a society a more visceral desire for more kind of more violent type of mm. humor so deadpool's probably the closest thing that we have to yeah. kind of eliciting humor and violence together yeah. as one package that's a good pull and there is a buddy not a buddy cop but it's certainly a buddy element mm. to to those films as well yeah and it's very yeah you're right and but those again those are very much built around special effects yeah and the superhero genre or, or sci-fi with like guardians of the galaxy mm. and that kind of thing mm. so uh, yeah i think this is a movie that would be very welcome to come back or a movie style that would be very welcome to come back and uh, I don't know who's gonna who's gonna take up the mantle. Who's the next Jackie Chan? Let us know <laughs> in the comments, <laughs> or you can let us know in an iTunes review. Uh, keep those coming. There's been a lot of them coming through, and it's great to see. It's great to know people are enjoying the show and uh, getting getting something out of it. If you've got your own questions, comments, and corrections, uh, let us know. You can hit me up on Twitter at Johnny himself. For now, thank you, Daniel. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure, and I'll um, buy my way back here at the first instance I can. Uh, do you want people to find you on social media? You can find me on social media at DJ Peck on Twitter, and that's about it. But as I said before, it's very limited to 2K shout-outs yeah. and 2K complaints. Oh, you got a good quip every now and then. But uh, as I said, thank you again for joining me, and dear listeners, thank you for joining us on Comedy Rewind. Be kind. Be kind.